Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined as always by Colin Haas Hill. And Colin, I, I think in in the time we've started recording, I think Rutgers has already run another trick play. Yeah, and it was probably successful given the fact that it felt like you, you know, it, it's one of those things where you look back on it and like not, you know, a lot of them didn't actually work uh, on Saturday, but you just remember the ones that do. And I'll be honest, like the amount of times I've, I've, I've ran that, that play of them throwing a touchdown pass to an offensive lineman in my head is, uh, is more times than I can count. I love you. We love big man touchdowns around here. We, we still want to see a Dewan Jones touchdown if you're listening, Ryan Day. But you can't rule it out. I mean, if we're going to talk about, you know, what Garrett Wilson's background was as a basketball player and how that translates to wide receiver, there's no reason why that can't translate for DeJuan Jones, too. I want to see it. I want to see it. We did see a lot of trick plays, mostly from Rutgers, on Saturday. And what I think was a lot of people just kind of felt was a weird game. In the first half, Ohio State was completely dominant, took a 35-3 to lead into halftime. And then it ended up being a 49-27 game, in large part because of trick plays that were successful for Rutgers. You mentioned the touchdown pass to the offensive tackle. You mentioned the um, – well, you didn't mention, but there was you know a punt return touchdown. Before, right before that play, there was a 66-yard run on a direct snap to the running back, Isaiah Pacheco. A lot of weird things, and, and, and they worked, and I think it – made it another one of those games that, you know, at halftime it looked like it was just going to be a, a boring blowout and Ohio State just did what it needed to do. And then by the end of the game, Ryan Day was devoting his entire press conference to ranting about how they played in the second half because the Buckeyes didn't finish the game that, the way that he wanted them to. And a game that we thought we were going to see the backups play a lot, we – at least on offense, we really didn't get to see them play much at all. You know, you know, you know what's you know what's interesting to me is you know we're we're three weeks into this thing, and it felt like for ten months we were just excited to excited to learn about this team, excited to see what they are on the field. Like I, I felt like after the first game, we still had a lot to learn. I felt like after the second game, we still had some some, some stuff to figure out. I feel like after three weeks, we can really start to figure out exactly what this team is, and, and sure. Like there, there is going there. There's going to be some significant development within the season. I think that you, I think you're going to see that, and I think you're going to see that with you know a lot of the, a lot of the younger guys who are specifically you know those first year starters. Um, and, and it has to happen because there are certainly some guys who I think that we're going to talk about who have to step up. But you know, it it, it was an interesting reaction to because this sort of brought me back to some games in 2018. Uh, not not that bad. We're not talking about that Maryland fifty-two to fifty-one game. But you know, Ohio State handled Rutgers. There, there was never a point where I think either of us really thought that Ohio State was going to lose. I mean, they won forty-nine to to twenty-seven. They were up thirty-five-three. What all of the what all the conversation about afterward though was, was the second half and the fact that you know Rutgers outscored Ohio State in the second half. Rutgers scored twenty-four points in the second half. You know, Ryan Day was talking about on Tuesday, like they thought about taking out the starters at halftime. And like, what a different second half that would have been if they just made that call. Um, what has sort of been your take on the reaction to this game? Uh, what you think is or is reasonable criticism? What you think is a little bit overboard? I think there's a lot in there. And I also think like there's a lot of anxiety in this fan base right now. I, th- I think when I think if you just look out 
you know, what Ohio State fans thought about this second half. It's like, whew, can this team really beat Clemson and Alabama now? And it was the second half against Rutgers, but you haven't really felt that way about an Ohio State team since they cruised last year, uh, since 2018, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I think people are just going to get sick of hearing it from me because I just say the same thing every week. But I think it's mostly overreacting. I think people mostly just need to calm down because Ohio State was never in any jeopardy of losing this game. Uh, you talked about Ohio State was up 35 to three at the halftime. They didn't come out and play well in the second half. Nobody's disputing that. But I, I think most of what Ryan Day said was true is that, you know, I think they just didn't come out with the same kind of energy in the second half. And I think that's natural that you're not going to come out with the same kind of energy in the second half of a game that you're winning 35-3 to than a game that's tied at halftime. You know, I think if the game had been tied at halftime, I don't think you would have seen the second half play out the way that it did. So, I, you know, I, I don't I – I think there's been a lot of panic from the fan base so far this year, and I think, I think it is because of what happened in both of the last two years. I think it's because they were so dominant last year that Ohio State hasn't been quite that same level of dominant yet. And I think, you know, that comes as a letdown to people. And I think there's also – I think there's – the 2018 season, the way the defense played that year, scarred Ohio State fans in such a way that they're so horrified that any time things go bad for the defense, that it's going to be a repeat of 2018. In my opinion, I mean, I saw some people comparing this team to 2018 after a game. I think that's ridiculous because I think the game was, again, it was over at halftime. The fourth quarter, they, I mean, Ryan Day said after the game they didn't get their backups in, but the fourth quarter, the entire defense was backups. They, they had pulled their, they, they didn't pull their starters on offense, but they, they had pulled basically all of their starters on defense for the entire fourth quarter. So, I think trying to read too much into how the defense played in the end of a game when most of their starters weren't even out there, I, I think I think it's it's an overreaction. I mean, the defense hasn't played well in the second half of either of the last two games, so I get it. And I do not think this defense is nearly as good as it was last year, and that could be a problem. But I, I think that at the same time, I, I think – there's just a lot of overanalyzing with this team going on right now. And I think if you look across the country, when we just saw Clemson lose, I mean, the, the thing that my big takeaway, if you just look at a national landscape at this point, because this all goes back to the reason why fans feel this way is because they want to win a national championship and they're worried the team isn't good enough to win a national championship. I don't think there is a team in college football this year that's got an elite defense. I, I just don't think it's out there. I, I think you have other teams with elite offenses, but I, I don't think there is a team out there that's got this elite defense. So I think any college football playoff game is going to end up being a shootout. And I think that kind of goes back to what you wrote about the other day, that how much should we really worry about all of this stuff when Ohio State has the player who right now is the best player in college football in Justin Field, the quarterback. All right, there's a lot in there. I, I sort of just want to, I want to, you know, I want to sort of break it down like this. I, I sort of just want to go through, you know, what do we think is legit criticism? What do you think is, are, are things that, you know, we're either concerned about or we're, you know, on guard about? Um, because, you know, yes, I, I, you know, Ohio State 
was never going to lose to Rutgers. That would just, we're just not living in a world where that was ever going to happen. Um, but I think people who are nervous aren't nervous because of that, but they're nervous because of what can happen against Clemson if this pops up. So let's just run through some of the things that, you know, we've seen a lot of. You know, the number one thing, you know, I don't know if it's the number one thing, but we'll just start here. You know, the running back competition between Trey Sermon and Master Teague has essentially turned into a 50-50 split to start the season. Um, and I think people are generally, you know, I don't really know how to put it. I, I think somewhere in between concerned and, you know, just thinking these guys are pretty average. Um, where do you come out on on what your concern level is and, and what it should be going forward and, you know, what you expect this to develop into? Because they're in a little bit of an interesting situation here where, you know, you're splitting two guys' reps. You get Demario McCall involved for two touches. You know, still Chambers had some carries uh, on, on Saturday, but it's really those main two guys. And you do wonder, you know, how is this going to develop as the year goes on? So, so where are you at in terms of the running back situation and and you know the rushing game as a whole? Because it, as we know, it, it's not just them. I think they're fine. I think they're fine. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're great. I don't think either of them is J.K. Dobbins. I don't think. Either of them is going to be J.K. Dobbins, but I think they're fine. I, I don't I, – I mean, it, it's hard because you, I get it because people look at, you know, the game last year and how great J.K. Dobbins was in that game. And then when he went out of the game, Master Teague didn't do much, and that definitely hurt Ohio State. So I, I get it, but at the same time, you know, I mean, Ohio State – I mean, Ohio State's run for over 200 yards in every game. The, the overall stats have not been bad for, for running backs. And I, I know that we're not seeing a ton of flash out of them, but I don't know how much flash Ohio State needs out of them if it's got Justin Fields and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson playing the way that they are right now. I think they just need them to be solid. And I, and I still I, – I mean, you know, you were saying before about, like, feeling like you have a pretty good handle on where this team is. Like, I don't know if I really have a good handle on where the running game is because they haven't needed – they haven't needed the running backs to go out and win a game. Or, or, or really put them in a position to win a game yet. So I think that makes it a little hard to know like how they're going to fare in a situation like that. But I think they're fine. I don't. I don't think. I don't think the running backs are going to propel Ohio State to a national title. But I also don't think they're going to prevent Ohio State from winning a national title. Well, I don't think. I don't think that they're. I think if Ohio State's ever in the situation where they need one of those running back, if if they need to win a game with the running game, I think they're already in trouble because this team isn't built to do that. I think that, you know, I think what Ryan Day said, I don't remember if it was after the game. I think it was after the game where he said, you know, the thing that Master Teague does well is he moves the chains and, you know, he doesn't he doesn't get hit for negative yardage. I think that that's important for what Ohio yeah. State does. You know, my take on them right now is, you know, I think after week one, my take was they don't have J.K. Dobbins. <laughs> that was pretty clear. And I think what's become clear as time has gone on is, in my opinion, I think Master is the guy right now. I think Master is the guy who is who's most impressed me. Um, if you look at their if you look at their yards for Gary, they're either even or Trey Sermon is just a little bit ahead of him. But I just think that that's just if you actually watch the kind of carries that they get, I just think that that's a little misleading. I mean, Trey Sermon, I, I believe he had a 36-yard rush. Um, uh, for his last touch of the game. And like, I probably could have picked up 15 yards through that hole. I just think Rutgers on that play, just Rutgers had 
a terrible defense. It wasn't even what the offensive line did. They just, they just gave him a massive hole to work with. Um, I, I don't think that you – know, Trey Sermon's in an interesting spot because, you know, the Ohio State brought him in, and we talked a lot about what he would be this year. And I know you were really high on him. I didn't really totally know what to expect. You know, the thing with him to, to me is – I sent this to you and our colleague Kevin earlier. Like, it feels like his running style is like playing Tetris. Like, it feels like he's slowly trying to figure out a way to fit himself into a hole. Whereas, I just think that this offense doesn't need that. Like, this offense needs someone who's decisive, who can make quick cuts, who can get up and uh, upfield quickly. And I think that that's something that Master Teague just does better. Uh, Trey Sermon, I think his best carries have come when they've tried to get him outside a little bit and they've tried to get him to the sideline. But that's not really the thing that, that I think that this offense is going to be built on. And I think that, you know, those handoffs with jet motion to, to Garrett Wilson and then what they did with the Mario, those are the kind of more intriguing outside runs to me than what Trey Sermon's going to offer. So to me, I just think it's time to see a little bit more master um, getting the carries. And, and, you know, I think it's been about 50-50. I think it's fair to go 60-40, 70-30, push it, push it further that way, just because I think that Masters, to me, felt, you know, three games in that he's progressed every single game. He's gotten better. He, he's, he's, been, he's become more decisive. He's become more explosive through the hole. And I'm not looking, like you said, like we both said, like Masters not going to win a game. Like they're not going to try to win a game with Master. What Master has to do is he has to hit the hole as hard. You know, he has to figure out a way to to not lose yardage. He has to win on those inside runs. And he's done that. In the, he did that on Saturday to me, and he's done that recently in the last two games better than he did in the opener. And, you know, I'm a little optimistic there. I, you know, it's not a J.K. Dobbins situation, but I like what he's giving them. I'm just a little concerned if they try and keep this 50-50 what Trey Sermon's going to be able to provide. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I've been a little bit disappointed by Trey Sermon. I, I don't think he really looked comfortable in the offense and maybe that's a product of the fact that they had a weird off season and he's, and he's a new player and he just hasn't uh, had the opportunity to, to really uh, get comfortable in the offense. But yeah, it, it felt a little disjointed to me when he's been in there. Um, you know, I think they're going to keep giving him some reps as long, you know, at least for the time being, but I agree with you that I think master has been a better back and, and he's the one that, uh, if you need, if you really need to move the chains, he, he's the one that I'd want on, on the field right now. The interior of the offensive line, um, I think that that's another thing that people have mentioned specifically after Saturday. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to rewatch it, but if you did it on, the, on that second watch or, you know, during the game, what were your thoughts on, on how those in, inside offensive linemen played and, you know, what your level of confidence concern is about that group moving forward? Yeah, I don't know how concerned I am, but I, I, I would just say it's probably like that's probably the biggest like negative surprise to me right now this season has been that I don't think the interior offensive line has been great. And I thought really thought they would. I mean, you you guys who listen to the podcast know that I was really high on Josh Myers. And I just don't think Josh Myers has played that well, to be completely honest. I, I really don't. I, I think I think Josh Myers has taken a step back. And you know, I, I, I think one thing that I think we both did is I think we probably underestimated just how good Jonah Jackson was. And we probably thought Harry Miller was going to be better right away than he is. And I can't I think, believe I made that mistake too, because I was such a Jonah Jackson. Yeah, and guy. I was too. I, and it, what right. was I thinking? I was too. And like that, I didn't, I definitely didn't mean it as like, we, we didn't like appreciate Jonah Jackson, but I think, 
I think we felt like Harry Miller could step in and be just as good. And the reality is he's not right now. And that doesn't mean he won't be a year from now, but you know, he, I think he's clearly been the weak link on the offensive line. Uh, he had some issues with penalties. You know, he's, you know, he's a smart guy. He's young. I, I do. I do think that he's going to eventually be a really good player, but it seems like, you know, between him and Myers, especially, it feels like the communication there has just been off. It just feels like they just haven't gotten into a rhythm yet. Um, you know, cause you know, and I think we both agree. Like, I think the clear strength of the offensive line right now has been the tackles. Like I think Nicholas Petit Frere was probably the guy we were, we were most questioning going into the year. And I think he's probably been their best offensive lineman. Like, I think he's been fantastic. I think Thayer Munford's been fantastic too. But that interior offensive line, it just, it just hasn't, it just hasn't looked like it's been in sync yet. I'm still not really concerned because I know how talented those guys are. I mean, Wyatt Davis is an All-American, and I still think Josh Myers is really talented. But I think, I think my expectations for them were too high going into the season, and it's clear that they've got some work to do. Yeah, I'm not sure I had a worse take in the offseason than just assuming this offensive line was going to be the greatest offensive line to ever play offensive line in college football. <laughs> I mean, that was not a good one looking back on it. But, I, I you know, I, I asked about the interior of the offensive line because I'm right there with you about the offensive tackles. I think Bayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Ferrer have been tremendous. I mean, they've been so much they, – they, they have been the absolute max of what I thought they'd be or beyond. I mean, they've just been just about perfect. Um I think what Josh Myers did on Saturday was like, like I think Josh Myers is a, is a great person to talk to. I think he was awesome last year. I think Saturday was his worst game ever. I, I was, it was honestly a little bit of a shock to go back and, and watch and realize, you know, the amount of mistakes that, that he made. Um, I, I, I was not really prepared to, to see that from him this year. I thought like you, I thought he'd be in that Remington trophy conversation. And right now he's decidedly not Harry Miller three, three holding calls in one quarter is pretty spectacular. And he had another one, you know, when I was rewatching it, I actually rewound because I thought they were about to flag him for a hold, but it actually wasn't a hold on that play. He just, he held his hands up like he held because he held, but they didn't call it. So like he could have had four and a half um, and he didn't. And beyond those penalties, you know, he's someone who I've looked at and, you know, I'm just, you know, with all that we heard about him last year, with all of the, you know, the, the five-star status that he came in with, I'm just not seeing that yet. I, I, I'm really not seeing that at all yet. So, yeah, I am nearing concerned. I am. Because this was this is one of the things that I thought the offense was going to be built on. I thought it was going to be built on the best one of the best two quarterbacks in the country, really good, talented wide receivers, and then the best offensive line in the country. And, and they don't have that. Um, and, and, you know, I think Wyatt Davis has been good. I don't think Wyatt Davis has been great yet. And, you know, there's a lot of time to, to figure this out still. Like, again, you know, we've mentioned this a lot, but this isn't a murderer's row of games in the regular season for Ohio State. So they can take their time to develop. Um, but I'm, I'm bordering on concern right now. I, I think that they, they desperately need to take a step forward because I saw them take a little bit of a step forward in week two and then, you know, week three was just such a such a step back to me. And I do think I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago, but I, I do think Harry Miller should be on a short leash at this point. I think I think if he doesn't show improvement, I, I think they should consider putting Matthew Jones or Dewan Jones or, or giving somebody else a shot to get some snaps in there and see what they can do. 
Yeah, and and I can't believe that I, I agree with that, given what I thought that this this offensive line was going to look like earlier before the season. But I do think like this is a against Maryland. Like this is Maryland. This isn't this isn't Clemson. He has to look really good in this game to me. I think he has to take another step forward. This can't and, and you know you can't do step forward, step back the whole season. <laughs> but you certainly can't do two steps back in a row. And he already took one step back this past week, and I was that was that was not one of his better performances. If we look on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, it's weird. Like, what's the number one thing that people are talking about about this defense? I just feel like it's the defense as a whole. I don't think it's one person. I don't think it's one area. I just feel like people want a little bit more out of this defense. And, you know, I I certainly have my opinion on that. But, Dan, what's your sort of take on on what you've seen? And then when you went back and rewatched it, you know, how how worried, how concerned, how confident are you in this group? Well, you know, I, I think we talked about it before the season, and I, I was thinking about it, like, the past few days, about how this defense, it just doesn't have a star. You know, you think back to last year with Chase Young and, and Jeff Okuda. I mean, you had two superstars. And then even some of the guys you lost, like Jordan Fuller and Damon Arnett and Malik Harrison, and those guys were just such rock-solid players last year. Devon Hamilton as well. I mean, those are all guys who were just such rock-solid players last year. And, like, I just don't think there's many guys on this defense right now that are playing at the level of any of those guys that I just named. Um, you know, I, I think they have some – I don't think – yeah, I don't, I don't even think that's an argument. I don't think anyone's coming close to that. Yeah, right. I mean, I think they've got – I think they've got some guys who are playing solid – but I, I just don't think you have a, a, a star, a consistent star on that defense right now. And so I think, I think that is part of it. Like, I mean, my, my biggest concern on the defense is what it's been all year. It's the secondary. I mean, my secondary remains my biggest concern about this team and, and the biggest concern that I think can, can make or break whether this team can win a national championship. But I, I, I do. I think a lot of it just is kind of a fact that across the board, you just don't have – a lot of consistent game. I mean, you know, we've seen flashes of it. Like, I mean, Tommy Togi, I certainly showed flashes of it at Penn State. But I, there's just not a consistent star, a consistent game changer on that unit right now. And I think that's the biggest thing that's keeping it from being a really great defense. All right. I, I, I feel like I have a strong take on this because I think this def- I think I think people are concerned about the defense. And I saw, you know, on our on our website there's a poll that was asked on the front page, you know, what are you most concerned about? Are you most concerned about the running game? Or are you most concerned about the defense? I think defense won, you know, with two thirds of the vote. I think it's crazy to worry about this defense. I don't understand it. I, I mean I sort of understand it because I think people are looking at a defense that is led by Jonathan Cooper, Haskell Garrett, Tommy Togai, Pete Warner, Tough Borland, Seven Banks, and are like Marcus Williamson. Are like, how in the world is this defense good? And then you look at the second half, and you're like, you know, how do you give up 24 points in the second half to Rutgers, freaking Rutgers? You know, if you if you look at what the stats are, I think that I think Ohio State allowed like four and a half yards per carry total. But if you take out the one 66-yard trick play. They held they held Rutgers to like two what like two and a quarter yards per carry. I don't remember the exact stat off the top of my head. I wrote it earlier today. I mean, I just I, I think I think if you look at what the Stevens is doing against the run, I think the front seven has been tremendous. 
against the run. I think Haskell Garrett's penetration again on Saturday, like Haskell Garrett's playing at, a, at an all Big Ten level right now. Um, I think Tyler Friday really took a step forward on Saturday. I thought I saw some stuff from Javante Jean-Baptiste on, uh, you know, on Friday or on Saturday. Sorry, when I say Tyler Friday's name, all of a sudden I can't say any more days of the week. Um, I think I think Baron Browning, you know, we've seen him start to play downhill a little bit more. I think Tough Borland has been – Tough Borland I think has had maybe his best stretch of games as a Buckeye. I just feel like he's – I feel like he's getting awful blocks better. He's, he's – you know, we talked about him being in the right place, but he's always in the right place. Um, I think, you know, my thoughts on the secondary are, you know, we, we I, I think that Sean Wade, as, is, is, you know, he talked on Tuesday, I think he's correct in his assessment that he's gone for interceptions a couple too many times. I think he's, pro- he's probably the one guy who I'd point to in the secondary and say, you know, I really believe that he's going to turn around, but, you know, he probably hasn't played up to where he, he needs to be. I think Seven Banks and Josh Proctor have been tremendous. I just think Seven Banks hasn't been tested yet. The one guy I would point to, and, like, I, I don't – it's not, it's never fun to, like, single out a college kid, especially a college kid who's just, you know, redshirt freshman, you know, we weren't really – or a redshirt sophomore who, <clears throat> you know, I think last year at this time we weren't really even talking about him. But, you know, Marcus Hooker's had some real, real struggles in the back end. I think if you look at his missed tackles – and then you also combine them with, you know, some penalties. And when I say some penalties, I'm specifically thinking of Teron Vincent with a face mask down near the goal line on fourth and seven. If you, if, if Marcus Hooker makes one or two more tackles than he did, if Teron Vincent doesn't get that penalty, this game's completely different. And we're not having this conversation even at all. Teron Vincent, after that penalty, immediately two plays later was when Giovanni Haskins caught that, caught that touchdown. Um, and then all of a sudden, Rutgers scores again right away. And, you know, that – or no, what was it? It was then Rutgers kicks off. Demario McCall downs at the five-yard line. Ohio State punts, and they do a trick play. And, you know, that's the second score. So, like, that one penalty led to two touchdowns for Rutgers. Marcus Hooker, you know, I counted, I think, unofficially, five or six tackles that I thought he could make that he didn't make, including that one on the 66-yarder. I just think if you look at their few penalties that they made and then also the Marcus Hooker missed tackles, like to me, this defense doesn't have major issues. I, 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 don't, I don't think it has major issues at all. I think Marcus Hooker has some tackling issues right now, and they also just made really dumb penalties where they didn't really need to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think that's, that's potentially a major issue, Val, if you got if, – if, if, your oh Marcus Hooker, if your quote I, I unquote eraser yeah. is is not a consistent tackler, that's yes. a, I mean we saw what happened against Clemson last year. They tried doing a two safety look. They you know they put Josh Proctor back there. He, he misses a tackle that totally changes the game. Like uh, so, I think I think that is a major issue. And I, I you know I still go back to just you know I, like that's one I look at and I, it it concerns me because I don't know what the better answer is. So I. I I, I think Josh Proctor is playing well in the role he's in, and I think he's in the right role for him. I don't think putting him in the place that Hooker is playing right now is the answer. It might be doing more two safety stuff. It might be changing the look of a defense. I don't think they want to do that, but that might be the best answer if Hooker can't be that consistent quote-unquote eraser on the back end. Um, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to downplay the defensive issues, but. Well, I do want to downplay the defensive issues. I just want to be more specific because the defense to me doesn't have issues. I think this is a really good defense 
even though if it has quote unquote no names, because I think a lot of people don't really know a lot of these names. I think that they have a problem at free safety. And I, I don't like I don't enjoy singling out Marcus Hooker like that, but like he missed five or six tackles and, and he has to make some of those. You know, Ryan Day had mentioned that on Tuesday, but specifically on the Pacheco sixty-six yarder. You know, he could have tackled that for ten yards. And we saw him on the on the very first play of the Nebraska game, or I think it was the second play, second or third play of the Nebraska game. He missed a tackle down the sideline. You know that was the kind of play that you know he's going to have to make. And and I thought he tackled better that game. He's just taking a step back. And I think that 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 to me, like Marcus Hooker's tackling, is like my number one concern on the entire team right now. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I mean, to me, to me with this defense, here's where I'm at. I. Don't think they're as good as last year. I don't think they're going to be as good as last year. I think they're absolutely better than 2018, and I don't think they're going to come close to being as bad as 2018. I think they're firmly in the middle between them. And if, you know, the, if the offense is good enough, I think, I, think the, I think the defense is good enough that if the offense can, can outscore – teams that also have great offenses like Clemson and Alabama, then Ohio state's got a chance to win any game it plays. I mean, I, you know, I, the way I see it right now, I, I don't, you know, do I think this Ohio state defense can go and shut down Clemson or Alabama? No, I don't. But I also don't know that it necessarily needs to. Uh, I think it just, it can't be 2018, but I, I, I think it needs to just be good enough. And then your offense is, is gotta be good because I mean, at the end of the day, this is all – it's always all going to come back to Justin Fields continuing to play the way he's playing right now. If Justin Fields keeps playing the way he's playing right now, the potential of this team is limitless. And I, I don't think there's enough other parts on this. I, I think it's a good all-around team. But I think if you take away what you've got with this Justin Fields and this passing attack, this you know this is not a championship team but Justin Fields and what they're doing in the passing offense elevates this to being a potential national championship team what do you think about the pass rush I think it's okay I mean I think it's about what I expected it would be without Chase Young I don't think they have a superstar but I also don't think it's bad yeah I think that's fair I think that the tough thing right now is I think that that in the cornerback situation when it comes to, you know, beyond, you know, those, those touchdowns caught against Sean Wade, I think it's tough to evaluate seven banks and Marcus Williamson thus far, because I think the quarterback receiver play hasn't exactly been, you know, the most stellar that, that we're going to see this season. So I think that, I think that that's a little hard to, to evaluate. I think, you know, Jonathan Cooper made the point on Tuesday that, you know, teams have been trying to get the ball out quickly against Ohio State. And I think, you know, sometimes you hear that and it feels like a little bit of an excuse. But I don't really think that that's an excuse. I, I do think Rutgers really tried to get it, you know, get the ball out quickly. I think that they used a, well, they used a, they used a lot of pre-snap motion to try and get the Buckeyes, you know, caught off guard a little bit. And, you know, I just, I, I think in my overriding point is I think the front seven's really, really good. I think the front seven's awesome. Um, and, I, and I think that we're going to see that as the year goes on. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm sticking my neck out there a little bit because I think that a lot of people view this defense as having problems. But I think that the one issue is, you know, the Marcus Hooker issue. And, and you know, I think that you made, the, you made the point, which is I don't really know exactly how they're going to fix that. You know, 
other than to get him to play better and get him to fundamentally tackle and wrap up. Um, and I think that that's, that's a tough thing to know right now because he's a first-year starter. We don't really know how this year is going to develop for him. Do you think that there's anything other than just trying to get him <laughs> to play better that they can do, whether it be backups, whether it be moving guys around? I think it's, I think it's mostly got to be scheme related. I think you've got to, I think you've got to find, you know, it, it might be small ways, but I think you've got to find ways to adjust your scheme so that you're not putting him in it. Cause I think last year of Jordan Fuller, you were so comfortable with him making the play that you really could heavily rely on him just being that one guy in the back end. And that if a play got to him, he was going to make it. I don't think you're going to have that this year, no matter what you do. So I think you've got to find ways to adjust your defense to help them. I'm not a defense coordinator, so I don't know the, the answer. Uh, but I, I, to me, I think that's a big key. Because to me, if, if you're going to say, like, like, my real, like, biggest takeaway on the defense from watching that game and watching the fourth quarter, it's that the right guys are starting. Because the backups just aren't that good. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's – that's probably my biggest takeaway is, you know, these backups that people have been clamoring to play, play more when they were in the game, I, I was not really impressed by what I saw. And I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, write them off because of the fourth quarter against Rutgers, but you know, you don't, you don't see the backups come in and think there wasn't a guy out there, but I'm thinking, man, this guy's really got to be playing more. I mean, Bryson Shaw had a nice hit on the back end, but I have no idea if he's somebody who's capable of playing that role uh, against starters right now. So, you know, they're, they're just not in, you know, to me, like, I, I just, I don't see, there's not a lot of, like, backups, but it's like, oh, if they put this guy in, I think he's really going to make the defense better. But I think, you know, I, I think, you know, again, this is why Kerry Combs gets paid over a million dollars, is to figure out the way that he can adjust the scheme to put his players in better positions to succeed. Three games in, do you feel more or less confident about Ohio State as a national title contender than you did before the season? I think I'm about the same. I don't, I don't really think that I've gone up or down. How about you? No, I was trying to think. Like, no, I, I might – I feel like most people are lower on this team. I think that that's the general consensus for Ohio State fans. And I do wonder if maybe I also nationally. Think, like, honestly, I think that's how every year goes. I think yeah, every year, I mean, that's fair. Every I year think... Ohio State fans go into the season thinking the team is going to go 100 nothing and run roughshod over every team. And then as soon as anything goes bad, they're, like, ready to jump off a cliff. And I so, love it. I love it. It's 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 missed because I know out, I know this. You 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 are listeners. You are all smart people. So I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the people who the only time I ever hear from them is during games on Twitter. You got some you got some hatred to, that are, that is that is heading their direction, and I uh, I always enjoy that. But they, I think they know that, who they are. <laughs> they also probably think, don't listen to the podcast. Yeah. Well, we, we, we will find out, I guess. I think that, you know, the reason why I'm just slightly a little bit more, you know, optimistic in this team as a national title contender is, I mean, I think there are a few reasons. I think one, I thought, I thought Alabama and Clemson were going to be a little bit more dominant than they've been. I think that you've seen them look at least somewhat human um, in a way that maybe Ohio State fans felt Ohio State looked in the second half. 
even though I think that a lot of that, you know, was trick plays and, you know, a couple of missed tackles and then you know, a couple of penalties. Uh, I think the other thing is, you know, this defense for what it is, I think this defense and the running back, I'm not at the point with either of those situations where I'm like, this is going to hold them back from national title and national championship. I don't think that there's anything on this defense that I point to. And I'm like, because of this, they can't win a national title. I think Marcus Hooker, I think the situation there is worth watching in that regard. But I think elsewhere, I'm just – I'm not there with anything. And the and the, re, the the real reason why I'm more confident in this team is obviously Justin Fields. Because I knew that Justin Fields was going to be really good. I knew these wide receivers had a chance to be really good. And it turns out that Justin Fields might be the best quarterback in the country and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson might both be top five receivers in the country. And it's just astounding to watch, Dan. Like, I caught up earlier today, like before we recorded, I didn't mention this, but – you know, I caught up Justin Fields' incompletions. Like, he has 11 incompletions, 11 passing touchdowns. I think more than half of his incompletions hit receivers in the hands. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, if you, you watched those 11 passes, was there really one even real bad pass? He had one against Penn State that looked semi-interceptable, and then he threw, like, one behind Luke Farrell in that game – but like it was also catchable. He basically had one and a half balls that were just completely that were just uncatchable. And otherwise, everything's on the money. It's unbelievable. That's why he's now the Heisman front runner after three games. Yeah, it's you know, I don't know. Maybe I, th- I think he and Chris Olave were the two guys from like, how are they really going to improve? Like I sort of know who they are. I know that they're really good. I'm not totally sure how they're going to take a step forward. And they've both done so. And Garrett Wilson, it turns out is going to be an All-American candidate this year. I mean, it's, it's, it's stunning, and I don't even know how we're going to talk about this and make it interesting for the rest of the season because all my talking points are, oh, my God, these guys are incredible. Justin Fields uh, continues to throw dimes. Garrett Wilson is great both down the field, in the end zone, on third down. He's basically everything. Chris Olave is the deep ball guy who you know, never misses. I mean, it's not, it's, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is an incredible passing game. It really is. Just enjoy it because Justin Fields and Chris Olave are going to be first-round picks playing in the NFL next year. <laughs> yes, they will. Yes, they will be. And then Garrett Wilson the year after. Had a couple questions about the Rutgers game that I wanted to get to now before we moved on. Uh, Min Buck asked about emptying the playbook and the second half of a blowout. Said there must be bad blood from Shiano toward Ohio State, right? That's not how I, that's not how I read it. I I read it in a couple ways. I, for one, I think this is a Rutgers team that's trying to change its identity as it desperately needs to. And I think it wanted to show that it's going to compete. It's not going to give up. It's, it's, it's it, even against a team like Ohio state in a game, it clearly wasn't going to win. It, it's not going to give up. We, we've seen them. They did it against Indiana last week too. When they were way down in the game, they almost pulled off like one of the craziest trick plays I've ever seen until it was, uh, brought back by a forward pass. So this is something they've been doing all year long. Sean Wade actually said on Tuesday they had had eight trick plays in the first two games. So Ohio State was expecting to see that. I don't think – I really don't think it was anything Shiano trying to uh, spite Ryan Day or anything. I think it's just what R- Rutgers wanted to do to, to try to have a chance to compete with Ohio State. And I give them credit that it worked and – you know, like, like Rutgers looked respectable. Like, 
Rutgers could have they could have lost that game seventy to three, and everyone would have just been saying same old Rutgers. And that's not what anyone was saying after the game. Like, I people are up on Rutgers right now. I think they they're building some momentum. I think Greg Schiano's really starting to get belief in his players. You know, I think I think these are guys who looked defeated the last couple of years playing with Chris Ash, and I think Greg Schiano has really got a team that like feels like it has a chance to compete. And so I think I I think that's you know part of why you're doing that is. We're, we're not going to just come out and go through the motions in the second half. We're going to go out and try to score some points against one of the best teams in the country. And I think the other thing is, like, there was so much talk about why would you run all these trick plays in a game you have no chance of winning. And, like, I was actually thinking the same thing. But I think it also could be the opposite strategy of if you put these things on film and you show you can do them against the best team in the Big Ten – now every team you play the rest of the year has got to spend time preparing for these things, whether you intend to use them or not. Yeah, they got their ass kicked in the first half. Like, what do you want them to do? Go back in the second half and try the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like a great idea. So, yeah, they, they went out and, and you, want to you want to energize the program, right? You don't want to be the coach that comes in and says, we're going to be different and then loses 70-3 to to Ohio State. Like, and the way to do that is to play differently. So I, I respect it. And honestly, like, from a, from a try not to fall asleep in the second half of a 78 to, to three blowout perspective, it made it at least a little bit more fun, even though I think that it probably stressed a lot of you folks out. <laughs> so yeah, from, hopefully you guys are recovered from that. Yeah, if you're, I think if you're an objective football viewer and not an Ohio State fan, I mean, if you're an objective football viewer and not an Ohio State fan, you were watching Clemson-Notre Dame. But if for some reason <laughs> – you were still watching that game, that made it a lot more fun than it would have been otherwise. Also had a question from B Nate AZ Buckeye. It said, I attribute the second half of a Rutgers game to having back-to-back night games and unfortunately no fans to energize the team. I don't think they expected all the trick plays and thought Rutgers would just leave quietly. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that's probably a lot to do with it. Um, I think as we move into talking about Maryland here in a minute, like I think, I think we're going to learn something about Ohio state this week. Like I think if you're Ohio, I think after Ryan day sends that kind of message after a game, if you're Ohio state now, if you want to go out and you want to dominate for four quarters this weekend, I don't know if they can, because I think Maryland's a, a, a pretty good team. I think from what we've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, against Minnesota and Penn State, I think this Maryland team is a little bit da- a little bit dangerous. So I don't know that Ohio State is going to necessarily dominate this game for four quarters, but I think that's the mindset that Ohio State should be going into this game with. Is you know, it, especially if you if you dominate the first half, but you got to go back out there in the second half and you've got to keep dominating the way you did in the first half because once you you put that message out there. Now you've got to go prove that you can do it. If not, then you are going to validate the concerns that people have. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and to go back to the question, you know, I, I don't – I really don't think that it was the, the energy factor. I mean, I think if you just look through, like, what happened. Like, what happened is Ohio State got the ball, and then Wyatt Davis had a holding penalty. They punted. They got the ball back again. And, you know, there was a missed block by Harry Miller and Josh Myers up the middle, set them back. They punted again. And then, you know, Rutgers runs that trick play with the 66-yard run. And then Ohio State gets the ball. Ohio State scores. 
And then, you know, there's a chance on fourth and seven, the next time Rutgers has the ball to really stop them. And then if Ohio State stops them right there, I believe Rutgers only had nine points at that time. Ohio State could have got the ball back, driven down the field, and it would have been probably one score away from putting it, removing its starters from the game. And instead, Teron Vincent gets that, you know, face mask penalty. <laughs> then Demario McCullough downs the punt within the five. Ohio State punts, and then Rutgers scores on you know, a fake, you know, a, a, a rev- what was it, a, a throwback punt return. I, I, I really don't think that that's energy. I think that that's just mistakes on Ohio State's part. And sure, there were several that led to that, but I don't really think it was energy. Um, I think energy is – I think that's understandable. And, you know, when you're in the stadium – for a night game against Rutgers in the second half when you're winning 32, when you're winning by 32 at the half, like I think it's an understandable thing to think. But if you just go back and look, to me, those weren't energy plays; those are just mistakes. Yeah, and I think I think it's an important point to make too because it has like the the vibe from the fan base has been all defense, defense, defense. But if you really look at why Rutgers was able to close the game up in the second half, it wasn't just because of a defense; it was because the, the offense didn't get going, and it was because, you know, they, obviously there were special teams mistakes, and the defense got put in some bad spots. So it's not just the defense that was why Rutgers was able to tighten up the score in the second half. It was all three phases making some mistakes that ultimately led to that. Yep. Um, were there any other questions, or did we want to move on and talk at least a little bit about Maryland? No, we have a couple questions we'll get to later, but I just wanted to get to those because they were Rutgers specific, so that we could move on from, from Rutgers, put that in a rearview mirror, uh, and, and move on to Maryland because uh, you know this is going to be a step up from Rutgers, in my opinion. It, it's so hard right now for Big Ten. I have no idea who's good and bad at this point. It's been such a weird. I, I, I'm pretty confident Ohio State is good. But other than that, I mean, we were talking about, you know, we thought Penn State was going to be one of the two best teams Ohio State would play in a regular season, and Penn State's 0-3 right now. So maybe not. Maybe Penn State's just not good this year. And I don't know if Maryland's good. I, what I do know, though, is Maryland's passing offense has, has gotten something going here the last couple of weeks with Talia Tungavailoa at quarterback, of course, the younger brother of Tua Tungavailoa, who is now the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins and had a great career at Alabama. He's really played well the last couple of weeks, and he's got some playmakers at receiver. We saw Rakeem Jarrett. He had 144 yards and two touchdowns against Penn State. They've got a couple other guys who have been around, Dante Demas, Deshaun Jones. They've got some weapons. So I think in terms of that secondary that I know I've got questions about, I think I think this is going to be another test for the secondary. Yeah, I think that's the number one thing. And it's, you know, I felt pretty good, in all honesty, about, you know, the pass rush and the secondary defending the pass this year. But it's been in very limited opportunities. I mean, we just haven't seen – we haven't seen the first three teams really attack Ohio State through the air much. I think that that's going to be the interesting thing this week. Because I, I, I really do think seven banks and Josh Proctor have played really well – but it's not like they've been tested a ton. I think Marcus Williamson, it's going to be interesting seeing him against a team that can, that's going to probably have the best quarterback, that, at least passing quarterback, that, that Ohio State has faced yet. You know, we've talked a lot about what Marcus Hooker's done you know, against the run. You know, what's, what is he like against the pass, against, against a team that's going to attack down the field a little bit more? I think that that's going to be an interesting thing. And, and I also think about, you know, we, we talked a lot in the offseason about, like, what Zach Harrison's going to do. And we just haven't seen a lot from him yet. You know, we saw, 
we, we saw him on Saturday knock down a pass, and we saw him have that tackle in the backfield early in the second half against Penn State when he tackled two dudes. Other than that, he's been pretty quiet. Uh, I think Jonathan Cooper had a little bit of a quiet game on Saturday, too. I'm interested to see what this pass rush is going to cook up against Tagovailoa because that is going to be the number one thing I think, I think all of us are watching. Because like you said, we spent the whole offseason, we all did, everybody who watches this team, wondering what the secondary is going to be like. And it also is going to be the first chance for, I think, Sean Wade to, for a little bit of redemption. Because I think it was interesting at, at interviews on Tuesday, and I know you wrote about it, you know, I thought I thought his answers to, to what's happened were really mature. I thought I thought he he was really open about what happened. He didn't hide from it. And he explained what he did wrong. And if you know what you're doing wrong, to me that means it's fixable. So I'm interested to see what it's going to be like to to, to see him, you know, leading the secondary against Maryland. Yeah, I'm pretty optimistic we're going to see improvement from Sean Wade because I, I I do I think, you know, again he's played three games at this new position and I and it's it's hard. He's a guy who's in a tough spot because. He's a guy, you know, he, he said it, he just focused on winning, but the reality is NFL scouts are evaluating him pretty hard right now. And I, I think his draft stock has dropped in the last two games. So I think if he wants to be that solid first round pick that he has the potential to be, you know, he can't, he can't be giving up three touchdowns in two games. He, he's got to, he's got to start being that lockdown guy. So I, I'm interested to see if he can become that. And I do, I think going against a guy like Rakeem Jarrett this week, I think, is going to be another test for him to see if he can start to become that guy. I think there are some people who look at this game that are pretty concerned and are pretty concerned about, you know, whether it's 2018 memories or if it's just the idea that people are a little bit concerned about what this defense is and, you know, some Sean Wade's play recently and what it's going to be like defending Maryland. Like, what's your level of concern? Is it is it more so that this game could be kept close, or if you look at the line that opened at twenty seven, are you more so expecting a comfortable Ohio State one? Yeah, my my level of concern is pretty low uh, because I do. I mean, I think. I mean, first of all, if you look at the series, twenty eighteen was a complete anomaly of this series. I mean, every other game has been a lopsided win in Ohio State's favor. Now, I think this is probably one of the better Maryland teams Ohio State's faced. I think again because it's early in the year and it's a weird year. I'm, I'm really not sure. I mean, Maryland lost 43 to three to Northwestern in week one. So this is not a great Maryland team by any means. I mean, Ohio state should win this game comfortably. And I think it will. I think it will. I mean, the spreads at 27 is dropped to 24 and a half. I think they cover the original spread because I think, I think Ohio state is going to go into this game really motivated to really play a full four quarter game, but we haven't seen from them yet. I think they're going to be, motivated I think they're going to play a terribility that's kind of cliche stuff so uh I could I could be wrong about that but I don't know I, my my feeling is like I think this game is going to be interesting like most we do our staff score predictions and most of them haven't come on yet but I've been interested to see them because I think it's probably going to be a wider range of scores than we've seen the last few weeks because I think the first three games I think we all like kind of had a general idea of how we thought each of those games would play out I think this one's got a wider range. Like I think there's definitely people who think this game could be close. I think there's people who think this game is going to be a blowout. And I'm not overly confident either way, but my guess is it's going to be a lopsided game in Ohio State's favor. Listen, here's my – I'm not a football expert, but I know football enough to know that if Northwestern is dropping 43 on you, Justin Fields is going to be able to score some points. <laughs> I mean, that's that's as simple as I can make it. I mean, I just – my level of concern is very, very low. I think Ohio State's offense right now can score with anybody. 
and I would include Maryland in the category of anybody. Um, and and like like I've said, I'm more optimistic about what this defense can do against a solid passing attack than most. I'm not saying that with a degree of certainty. It's not like I know that because we just haven't seen it yet. But I think that the flashes that we have seen have been fairly positive. And I, I think Maryland's going to be a real test there. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going to lean in terms of the spread. I mean, 24 and a half and 27, that it's still pretty, it's still a pretty big number as we've seen by, by Rutgers. <laughs> like who knows what if Maryland comes out and runs 27 trick plays instead of, 23 like like Greg Schiano dialed up I have no idea what's going to happen in this game but I will say I, I'm just confident in, I'm confident in this team not making these slip-ups as long as they have Justin Fields Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson healthy because I just think that this team with this offense the the passing offense the way it's built you know they're going to be able to score at will most games and, and you know I think a lot of the work last game uh, against Rutgers was trying to figure out how to make this running attack work if things went haywire, you could pass the ball more often than Ohio State has. And, and I know Kyle Jones, our film guru, wrote on Monday about the importance of the play-action pass. And while that is the case, like you have Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jadson Smith, and Jake, but Jameson Williams, you've got weapons if you need to use them. So I, I, am, I am very confident Ohio State going to this one. No idea on the spread, though. I, 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 I feel like I'm just going to wing that one. Yeah, I mean, last week I – I the last week the bet that I really liked was Ohio State over 49 and a half that did not hit because the offense only scored 14 points in the second half. That said, if Ohio State over 47 and a half this week, I think I like that bet. I do too. I do too. I think that, you know, if, especially if you believe Maryland's going to be able to score at least a little bit because that would yeah. make it more likely that they both keep the starters in and keep throwing. Yeah, I mean, over under 73 and a half, I probably wouldn't bet on that because that's a high number. But if I had to, I think I would take the over. I think, my, I think I'm going like 56-24 or something on my score prediction. I think, yeah, I mean, these two back-to-back, when, when, when the schedule first came out, it was like, oh, gosh, like we were going to sleep through both of these. You know, Rutgers decided to make that one interesting in the second half, and I think Maryland has a chance to at least – give us allow us to learn a little something about the secondary and pass rush that we just haven't been able to yet and I think for Ohio State fans I think it's going to be positive well I think I mean the thing is there's a legitimate case right now that the next two games on the schedule might be Ohio State's toughest games of regular season now I, I still think Michigan's probably a better team than Maryland but Michigan's playing really badly right now and Illinois and Michigan State are not good so I, I think these next two games I'm still fairly confident Ohio State's going to win both of them, but I I still think I think this might we uh, before the year I thought November was going to be like the cakewalk stretch. I think these next two games might actually be, you know, the the biggest games left here. Obviously, I mean, obviously Michigan, but like I, I think if if they can get through these two, I'm already extremely confident in Ohio State being able to go undefeated on this schedule and win the Big Ten. But I think if they get through these next two gonna be really really confident <laughs> it's it is just a degree of like how many reallys can we put in front of the word confident to talk about this Ohio State team in the Big Ten yeah, I mean, Ohio State is currently yeah. like a, a minus 1250 favorite to win the Big Ten so that's how confident people so that means you literally would have to bet a thousand two hundred fifty dollars to win a hundred dollars correct which is insane 
And I think it's completely reasonable. I mean, if like we we're, we're like we talked about like Maryland, Maryland. When you have Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, you think that they're going to lose to Maryland? No, I don't think that. I think you know Indiana's going to be a fun little test. Michigan looks atrocious. Michigan State, Michigan State just got whooped by Iowa. Illinois is Illinois, and I lose to Illinois. Like I, there's just not a lot of opportunities for Ohio State to lose. This this is both going to be a cakewalk, and also everybody's spending the whole time wondering, overanalyzing every game and wondering, you know, will this performance translate to Alabama and Clemson? Which, while sort of crazy, also completely reasonable because they're minus twelve fifty favorites. So like, why do we even talk about this? Like, it's all about Clemson and Alabama. Maryland fans listening are just clipping that part you just said. It's and, okay. and, I mean, in case if Maryland pulls the upset, like they're just going to be roasting us. I did want to talk real quick, if you call on about basketball, because we did get quite a bit of basketball news here in this past week. And we think we're just a couple way, couple weeks away from the start of a season. We don't know because we still don't have an Ohio state schedule, but we found out within the past week that Abel Porter, who was supposed to be their transfer point guard this year, he won't play. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with a heart condition, and it's unsafe for him to continue playing basketball. So really unfortunate for him. But Ohio State now getting some good news to make up for it. Not only that Jimmy Sotos, the Bucknell transfer, will be eligible to play this year as he got a waiver, but also that Michi Johnson, who was supposed to be in their class of 2021, is planning to reclassify, and he'll be joining the team later this season. So, Colin, how do you think all of that impacts the Buckeyes for this upcoming season? It's a fascinating little shakeup because, you know, I thought for the longest time, I thought throughout, throughout the entire offseason that this thing was set. And it really was. Like when they landed Abel Porter, he was going to be the backup uh, point guard. And then Jimmy Sotos, they landed him. They had no intention of applying for a waiver and having him be eligible. You know, Michi Johnson was in the class of 2021. He was going to be their point guard who comes in next next year and, you know, starts to begin to take over and maybe start as a freshman or, or more likely as a sophomore. Um, that all made sense. And then all of a sudden the Abel Porter news happens. The NCAA, you know, is going to look at this year and, and not, you know, have it count to someone's eligibility. So all of a sudden you can apply for a waiver for Jimmy Sotos. And then, you know, Michi Johnson decides to, to come early because Abel Porter's gone. And I just think – I think that's fascinating. And also, like, we're going to be honest, it seems better. <laughs> it seems better than it would have been in, in, in the original situation. And I don't mean that as any slight to Abel Porter, but, you know, Abel Porter was in – he knew what he was coming into. And he was coming into to just sort of be the facilitator, like be a better version of Andrew Dockage, essentially. You know, Jimmy Sotos is a legit player. Like, he averaged 11, 4, and 4, if I remember, at, at Bucknell. He's a, he was a three-year starter there. Like, he is a guy who – you know, he's not going to be a star. He'll be a star in the TikTok world if you want to go check him out. That man has <laughs> hundreds of thousands of TikTok followers. I don't even know what that, I don't even know what that means. I feel like, I feel like 3% of our audience even, even has a TikTok or knows what it is. But he's a star there, believe me. But he is a, he is a legitimate good role player. And then Michi Johnson, I think people are going to have to temper their expectations because this guy hasn't played a high school game since you know, the middle of his sophomore season at Garfield Heights. Um, so I think people are going to need to, you know, take a step back and, and maybe not expect him to be a star right away or even be a real major rotation piece right away. But, yeah, this is an intriguing group of players that I have no idea how they're going to look because we basically haven't seen 
any of these guys – we haven't seen, like, half of the team play in Ohio State uniforms, and, like, half of the other guys who are back are going to be in different roles other than, you know, C.J. Walker and Dwayne Washington are going to be in pretty much the same role. Everybody else is going to be in different roles. I think that it's, it's a fascinating group of players who we're not really going to 100% know what it's going to look like until they get on the court. That is the first and probably one of the only times TikTok will ever be brought up on RealPod Wednesdays. <sighs> Thank God, because I have no idea what TikTok is other than to go look at Jimmy Sotis' TikToks. Now, by the time you're listening to this podcast, maybe or maybe not, Ohio State could have signed its class of 2021 because signing day is today, Wednesday. It, it looks like the class that the Buckeyes will be signing is Michi Johnson, as we mentioned, who will be coming in uh, this year, and then Malachi Branham and Kalen Etzler just what are your overall thoughts on that class and are they going to add anyone else to it or are they pretty much set there yeah, it's a really good class I mean it's weird because now you're going to consider Mishi Johnson with the 2020s and Eugene Brown and, and Zed Key but you know that trio is that trio is them locking down Ohio and getting the three best guys in Ohio well I, I actually wouldn't say three best guys I'd say three of the best four now, Logan Duncan uh, from Cincinnati Moeller he is originally from Chicago area. He grew up an Iowa fan. Ohio State was not, you know, Ohio State wanted him. Ohio State offered him. They were the first high major to offer him. But Indiana beat them out. And I think that he's someone who people are going to look at down the line and be like, man, Ohio State, like, they could have really used him. Because I, I really like Logan Duncan. But these three guys, I think, are really interesting. Because I think Michi Johnson is – he's just an explosive dude. Like, I, I – I, you know, he – He's ranked in, I think, the mid-70s right now overall. I think he could be ranked significantly higher. Um, he is a – he is – he gained two or three inches over the time that he missed with a, with a torn ACL. He got more explosive. I just think he's a more well-rounded player. You know, he'll have to improve as a decision maker, but there's a lot to like about him. Malachi Branham is, is on that, you know, four-star, five-star precipice. You know, he is – he's a legit top 35 player in the country. He's a – he, I mean, the number one thing that people are going to see is, like, he's a really, really polished slasher, and he's got a great mid-range game. So I think that those are two things that, you know, Ohio State hasn't really seen from guys in a while. Kalen Etzler is the classic Ohio guy who's maybe a little bit lower ranked, um, who is not going to come in and light the world on fire right away. But I think you look down and you hope that, you know, two, three, four years in, you know, he is a, he is a big contributor for, for Ohio State. I think that that's the hope with him. And I think he can get there. So it's an intriguing group. Those are the three they're going to sign. And then, you know, they're, they're looking at other big men in the 2021 class. You know, Efton Reed is the one name that, you know, you've probably heard me mention for like the last six months because he's been the number one guy on their board for a long, long time. Honestly, way more than six months than I'm doing the math. Um, and, you know, the story with him is, you know, he's going to wait until the spring to sign. I mean, how do you predict what's going to happen between now and then if people can't even take visits? Like, it's just hard to know. Like, the professional options have been floated out with there with him. Oh, Kentucky's been around him. He's a five-star center, seven-footer um, from Virginia. So, you know, it's it's unclear exactly how that's going to play out. But, you know, they have their, they have their three-man class right now, and, and they're going to roll with it. Yeah, I remember him being at a football game last year, and it's been a year since there's been football games of visitors. So definitely yeah, yeah. more than six months. When are we going to see the Buckeyes play? Like, what, have you have you heard anything about the schedule and what it's going to look like? I have no idea. I'll say that you know Chris Holtman at two thirty p.m. on Wednesday. If it's not, if you're listening to this before then, you know he's going to have a press conference then. 
he might reveal something then. But I don't, I don't know what they're going to do right now. Uh, they had the Crossroads Classic that they were going to play in in South Dakota, and that fell through because South Dakota's COVID-19 positivity rate was over 50%, which is not a great place. Um, so Ohio State pulled out of there, and, you know, the season's supposed to start in what? Basically two weeks. Two weeks, and we don't yeah. Know, we don't know where they're going to play, <laughs> which is absurd. But we all, the Big Ten hasn't even released a Big Ten schedule. So nobody knows anything. I, I mean, this, this season has potential to be absolute chaos. We'd have to think, but by next week's episode, we will have some news on that. But you you reasonably confident like we're going to see a basketball season, a fairly full basketball season? I'm as confident as you can be in the year 2020. I mean, I, I really have no idea. Um I think I, you know, everybody really wants to try to make it happen. They're all acting like it's going to happen, so I just have to assume it will, and until it doesn't, and I think it, I think, I think it'll get off the ground. I have no idea how the thing's going to play out, though, and obviously, you know, it's just hard to know how how COVID is going to change <clears throat> throughout the throughout the next few months. And I'll mention once more, because I don't know if anyone mentioned, I don't know if, you know, if someone missed it or not, but you know, Roddy Gale is a four-star shooting guard in the class of 2022. And on Friday night, he's going to announce where he's going to play basketball. And I will say I, uh, the Ohio, Ohio State is in a good spot with him. Syracuse has sort of been the team since he is from New York. Syracuse has been the team that has been really closely linked to him for a, for a long, long time. But Ohio State made a push, and you know we will see where he decides on Friday. Sounds to me like if Colin had a crystal ball, he, you would like what – it would say next to I want a crystal. I want a crystal ball. That just sounds so fun. But yeah, I would have put it on Ohio State last week. All right. Three things we think. What are what are your other hot takes that you haven't dropped yet, Colin? You know what's funny, Dan? Like I had I had the exact same I, I my my first thing that I that I that I've been thinking about, you actually mentioned earlier in the show. But I'll just say it anyway because you know it came to mind and it's that I just have no idea who the star on this defense is, I, and, and it's become more clear. But the other thing is, is like, I don't know, hundred percent. I, I don't know, hundred percent know that this defense is going to need a star to be the defense that that they're that they're going to to that Ohio State's going to need to win a national championship. Like, I don't know that you need Chase Young to win a national championship. It certainly helps to have Chase Young. But I think that 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 what Ohio State has in the in the front seven at least is I just think Ohio State has a lot of guys there who are productive, who are good, and I don't think they have a weak link there. I think that the issue is that if you're going to have a defense without a star, you need to be pretty much solid everywhere, and that's where I think that the Marcus Hooker thing is a little bit concerning because if you have one weak link and then you have to overcompensate there, I'm not 100% sure what that does everywhere else. So, like, that's, that's the thing that I keep on coming back to. I think that they can get away with not having a star, I just think that they have to be solid pretty much everywhere. And, and, you know, TBD, a big old TBD. I'm going to bounce off of that with my first one, which is a take, but I know some people will disagree with, but it was something that rewatching the game and just rewatching all the games so far this year, I think, is that Tough Borland is legitimately one of Ohio State's best defensive players right now. And I think Tough Borland is playing the best football of his career. And that's not to say he doesn't still have some limitations, but some of the stuff that we heard in the off season about how he's improved and how his range has improved. I'm seeing that watching the film. I, I think that he has gotten better as a football player. I think he was defensive player of a game, the last game. And I think that was the right pick. I think he legitimately was Ohio state's best defensive player. 
in, in the Rutgers game. And I, I think he, I think he's playing at a really high level right now. He's, he's a guy that Ohio state fans have loved to tear down, but I, I think if, if you're looking for flaws on his defense right now, I don't think he's been one of them. I think he's been playing really good football. Half our listeners just turned us off. <laughs> I agree though. I think, I think he's, I think he's been really good. Um, I think this is, I think this is clearly the best he's ever played, which makes sense considering I think most people think it's the 73rd season he's been at Ohio state. My second thing I've thought about is, yep, I'm back on the bandwagon. I think Demario McCall needs some more cut, more touches. <laughs> I mean, it took, it took one carry <laughs> and one reception. I'm like, yep, I'm back on. I mean, it's, it's absurd to even do this again, but like, was he not the most explosive running back that they that had the ball? Like he clearly was. It wasn't even a question. Um, so, do I think that he's going to get more touches? Like I probably lean towards no because history tells me no. But like I'll say, I, I said it earlier. I, I do think that there's an opening for them to get other guys involved, going sideline to sideline because they can have Master Teague do a lot of the inside rushes. I'm just not buying that Trey Sermon is going to be the guy who you're going to want you know, Dyson defense is up going to the outside. Like, I think DeMario is better at that. I think Garrett Wilson on that jet motion is, is really good at that. I would like to see Jamison in, in a situation like that. They just haven't – they haven't given him the ball like that. But I want to see DeMario. I want to see some more DeMario. I don't know how much more DeMario, but I want more. I, that's all I know. I'm not back on the bandwagon yet, but it's like it's like that tempting, like, thing. That's he's out good. There. Like, like, do we have to pretend like he's like, not – like? Like that's that's the funny thing. You see those plays, and it's like, okay, I would like to see more of this. And (laughs) it does appear that he has a skill set that could help Ohio State right now. Because I do, I think the thing we're not seeing from his running backs is we're just not seeing a lot of flash. And you see it; he comes in at two plays at running back, he gains thirty nine yards. So, yeah, I think they should be trying to find a role for him. I again, I I think he's a guy you you. You know, we've talked about this in the past, and I think, you know, you see what, what DeMario can do in a couple plays, and it goes back to where, you know, and even we talked about before with a master Trey situation, where I think if Ohio State continues to just stick with the just rotational series, one guy, one series, one guy next, and just keeps it so simple for running backs – I don't know if they're going to be able to maximize what they can get out of their running back room right now. Because I think there's a guy, DeMario, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who goes in there for 10 plays in a row. But I think in a situational capacity, he has the potential to offer a spark that you're not getting from your other running backs. And, you know, if you, if you, if you could see it on a couple plays where he's in the game, like why not, why not give him a few more snaps and see if he can keep that going? especially when your running backs who are playing more snaps have been just okay at this point. The translation is feed DeMario. <laughs> feed, feed DeMario. Okay. Uh, second thing that I will say is that I think if you were holding out hope that the Big Ten was going to allow fans at football games this year, I think Notre Dame's fan base killed that because – I already, I already didn't think that was going to happen because I think you look at the COVID numbers going up everywhere, and I don't know how the Big Ten was going to justify changing its decision to allow fans in the stands. But I think those university presidents are looking at that and saying, 
no way, no way are we, we letting fans back in the stands this year. No way are we taking that chance of a super spreader happening just like that after a game if our fans get overexcited. So uh, I don't think it was going to happen anyway, but that convinced me that I, I think the chances of us seeing fans at Big Ten football games at any point this year are extremely unlikely. I'm right there with you. I mean, I thought, I don't know. I, I thought that was crazy. I couldn't, be, I couldn't believe that happened as it happened. I mean, I, I just feel like you have to, you have to know that that's a possibility. And Brian Kelly knew it was a possibility. He, he predicted it. He said, he said in walkthroughs, he told his team to get off the field right out right away if they win because he knows they're going to storm the field. So how does Notre Dame, anybody else at Notre Dame, not know that was going to happen and, and, and take measures to prevent that? I thought that was, I thought that was absurd. I thought that was crazy. Yeah, Notre Dame should have been more prepared for it. <laughs> to say the least. My third thing I've been thinking about is, I mean, this is, I'm going under the radar, under the radar. I mean, because we're. T- I, I think that there was a Buckeye who had his best game at Ohio State last year or on Saturday, um, who we haven't even mentioned, and I understand why because he's not like a, a super impactful player. But I thought this was Antoine Jackson's best game yet. I thought Antoine Jackson season opener and, and second game. You know, he, I thought he. I thought he wasn't great in the season opener. I thought he was fine in the second game. He made some plays in, in, in against Rutgers. He made some plays that really made me really made me think, you know, this is the kind of guy who can be helpful down the line. And, you know, this is the kind of guy who they're going to need because they're not going to rotate six guys. Antoine Jackson's going to get a lot of snaps. He's gotten a lot of snaps. And they're going to need him to rotate with Tommy Togai and Haskell Garrett on the inside and make some plays. And I thought I thought this was the best that we've seen him um play 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 in a single game at Ohio State. And I'm going to be interested to see if he can continue it. And he's got a crazy story. And and I think that for, you know, it's good to finally see him playing and, you know, making an impact like this. And I'll be interested to see if, you know, he catches others' attentions because I know on Saturday he caught mine. That was a deep cut. I, uh, I don't know that I paid enough attention to the defensive tackles to notice him, but I, I like that. That's a good, that's a good observation on your part. I'll close out by saying, it seems as though the college football playoff has no interest in pushing things back. But my question is why not? Because I mean, we're seeing it. I mean, the SEC looks like it's going to struggle to get half its games played this week because a lot of schools in that conference are having issues right now. The PAC 12 had to cancel two of its opening weekend games. The big 10, I guess I'll knock on wood over here. I'll remember Wisconsin situation is, done okay but there's still a lot of time left for things to get derailed there and we're getting to a point in all of these conferences now not just the big 10 and pac 12 but all of these conferences where if games get canceled there's just not much flexibility at all to to reschedule these games at this point so i'm sure there's reasons like you know i'm sure like new year's day for example or new year i don't even remember which one it is at this point in terms of which day the college football playoff is playing but i'm sure you know, they don't want to move those dates because then you're going to be competing against the NFL and, and you're going to have to, you know, you might have less than ideal dates to play these games. But to me, if they could push these games back just, just a week or two, you could give all these conferences more flexibility to actually, you know, for teams to actually be able to play the schedules they're supposed to play to get some more of these games rescheduled. And I, I don't think you can push it back too far. You don't, you don't want to be pushing this thing into February. But 
would a couple more weeks of pushing this back really have a negative impact on anything? I mean, you're already playing the championship game after the next semester starts. So if it's like a semester deal, I don't know if that would really make a difference there. And, you know, I, I just think that if you could give these teams, a, these teams, these conferences a little bit more flexibility, I would think that would be a net positive that there might be other reasons there that are why it's not going to happen. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but to me, it just seems like it would make sense for the college ball playoff to just do, just push things back just a little bit, just give these teams, these conferences a little bit more flexibility so that teams have a chance to hopefully play their full schedules. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I, I have no idea on that. I mean, it could be something as simple as just like logistics and like getting stadiums, getting hotels, getting like, it's a, it's a crazy undertaking that, yeah. that bulls go through at, at that level. Even if there's no fans, there's a lot that goes into it. So I don't know. It could be as simple as that, but if we're living in a world where that part's easy, then yeah, there's, there would seem to be a lot um, that, that, that would seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right about that. And I, I think the, the other reason I bring it up is because I think we've seen this year that like, and again, it's weird times. Like I think, you know, that some of that stuff is easier to do right now just because there's less travel going on in general. But, you know, we, we, we've gone from a world where games had to be scheduled 10 years in advance to games being scheduled literal days in advance. So you would think based on what we've seen with college football, college basketball, the flexibility that they've had to undertake in order to get these seasons going, you'd think it would be doable to push the college football playoff back two weeks. But I can't understand that there's probably factors out there that are keeping that from happening. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think that'll be interesting. And I'm sure that sure that that'll get asked at some point, some point as we near that too. Um, we have a couple questions at the, at the end from Scarlet Colored Glasses. Very simple. Yeah. Thoughts on Zach Harrison on defense, such high hopes, yet he's not starting. And Demario McCall on offense, he's averaging 7.9 yards per touch. Yeah, I think we already answered like 75% of this. We just talked about Demario, <laughs> so you got our thoughts on that. Colin mentioned Zach Harrison before. I didn't chime in there because I knew we had a question coming in later. I'll just say that I, I think I, I think some of I think some people are getting down or concerned about Zach Harrison too early, would be my opinion. And you know, I think part of that again, I think part of it's expectations that, you know, people expect him to be this next Chase Young. And I don't think he's that yet. I never thought he was going to be that yet this year. I think next year is where I'll really be looking to see if he can become that player. But we thought he could get like a 10 and a half sack season. And I'm not really sure he's no, shown he's, that. I don't know what he has, but like my opinion, I think on a per snap basis, when I've watched, I think he's been the best defensive end out there. I think I've been most impressed by what I've seen from him in limited action, but he hasn't played as much. In the, or in the Penn State game, in the other two games, he's played less than the other defensive ends. So, you know, I, don't, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're rotating them all a lot. I think that's what they want to do, and I, I'm not even criticizing that because, you know, I, I don't think any of them have separated themselves to the point where they shouldn't be rotating all of these guys. But I don't think like watching Zach Harrison, I I've been impressed mostly by what I've seen. I don't think he's played poorly. I also think that, you know, I think, I think some people are reading into it thinking like, well, 
he's getting like, I remember the first game, like people thought he was being disciplined or something because he wasn't in in the first quarter, which he wasn't. I mean, he just, they, they just decided to play the older guys first. And I think that's what's happening. I think the fact that he started against Penn state show and played the second most snaps against Penn state shows you that when they, it's a game that they really need their best guys on the field that they think he's one of the best guys. But I think they're going to keep rotating these guys heavily in most of these other regular season games. So, you know, we'll see how they decide to handle that against Maryland and what we think might be a little bit tougher game. But I'm not I'm really not down on Zach Harrison. You know, I, I think I think the first three games have been enough for me to say, okay, I, I don't think we're gonna see some huge breakout season this year. I, I think my putting him on my preseason all Big Ten team was probably overambitious. But I still think he's a good player. I still think the best is yet to come for Zach Harrison this year. Yeah, but I think even even the admission that, you know, he's not going to be that this year is a big deal because, you know, we've always sort of viewed him as potentially on the Chase Young Bosa track. And I, while I think it's too early, I, you know, I, I thought maybe we'd see a little bit more disruption from him early on. Now, the main caveat to that is, and, you know, I've referenced it before, is I don't really think that they've faced a team that's just sitting a quarterback back there and dropping back and, and really just letting, you know, letting Ohio State let their defensive ends loose. Like, I don't think Ohio State has faced a team that's done that. So I do wonder if we're going to see that change a little bit and if he's going to, you know, become a little bit more impactful that way. But I actually I – don't, I don't agree with um, him being the most impressive defensive end. And the, the tough thing is that um, – it's hard to really evaluate them if a lot of what we've seen is them against the run. I don't really think that that's his specialty, but I think, I think Tyler Friday and Jonathan Cooper have been the two that I've been most impressed with consistently this year. But I also, I'm with you. I don't think there's anyone who's really separated themselves. So I think that there's time for, for him to to make that impact and, and make, you know, become the kind of guy who we thought. So I'm certainly not writing him off. I did think we'd see a little bit more from him early on, but, you know, this is one of those things, and, and I mentioned this in the quarterbacks, like I'm interested to see them against Maryland because I think that I think this, this is an opportunity to you know, gain a little bit more insight into, into them and, you know, what they're going to offer this year and, you know, what they could offer down the line in the postseason. Silver Sniper asked, please give us an overall grade on the job that the two Michigan coaches have done at Ohio State so far. Has anything stood out question. in particular? It is a good question. It's a hard question to answer especially Greg Madison, because as I've said before, I don't know exactly what his role is. Um, and it's not even a criticism. It's just that I, I don't know exactly what it is. So it's a tough question. I mean, I mean to me, I, I do think the linebackers have been pretty good this year. I think they've been the strength of the defense that they were supposed to be. I, I don't think there's a superstar in that unit right now. But as I said, I think – Tough Borland's played well. I think Pete Warner's played well. I think Baron Browning, I think we've started to see more and more of him becoming that kind of, you know, big playmaker that he can be. And Justin Hilliard looked great uh, against, against Rutgers. He, he, I thought he played really well in his first game of the year. And, you know, those are the guys primarily that Al Washington and Greg Madison are working with. So I, I, think, I think those guys have been doing well. I really don't know like exactly how to grade these guys as coaches right now, especially since we're three games into their second season. Yeah. I think you can give it a shot though. I think, I I do think it's hard. And I think Greg Madison in particular is hard, but 
I, I have some grades. Go for it. <laughs> I think Greg Madison, I think Greg Madison has been so much better than I thought he would be. Um, Cause I think that, I think last year, I think he deserves some more credit than, than he got. I think Jeff Halfley got a lot of the credit last year. I think this year, what, what we've seen in, with Ohio State defending the run thus far and, and what we've seen from the front seven and the, and the, and the linebackers, the strong side linebackers, uh, which is a position group that you know he's in charge of. I think that I've been really impressed. The one thing is, like, really hasn't done much on the recruiting trail at all, like at all, at all. So I think that that is a, that is a knock against him when you're going to pay him seven figures. So I think it's reasonable to give him like, like a B plus A minus. Like that's where I'm at with him. Like I'm I don't really there's not a ton that I look at and think, wow, they could do a lot better here. Like I think the number one thing is essentially you know. The recruiting trail. Like, uh, if they had a more dynamic recruiter as co-defensive coordinator, I think that would be a positive for Ohio State. But in terms of defensive coaching, like, he's the one who put Pete Warner out there and, and made him the same linebacker and took all the Brandon White questions and still kept Pete Warner out there because he was really good in that position last year. And he's the one who we all wondered whether he's making the right move when he and he and Al Washington moved him inside and Baron Browning and Hilliard outside. And that sort of worked out this far. So I think he's done a really good job. The one knock for me is recruiting. And I think Al Washington is in a similar boat to me. I think Al Washington to me is, you know, he's a, he's a B plus to me with an A minus if he can, if he can really lock up, you know, a five-star linebacker, if he can get the Nets guy who is ranked as highly as Baron Browning. And I know they, they've, they've done some really good stuff in that 2022 class, like, I don't know. I, it's probably deserving of an A minus, honestly, because of what he's done. And I think some of those are, are, you know, some natural Ohio ties, like Gabe Powers, C.J. Hicks. Those are Ohio guys who you have to get. Desan McCullough has strong Ohio ties. Like you had men there. I think you know he's trying to finish off Sean Murphy with that class, like that that quartet right there. Like that would be a really strong one. And 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 then if you look at just the position group. Like I don't really think that they have is they don't they don't have like a stud right now, but I think between last year and this year, like he is just he has made sure that all his guys, you know, are continually improving and are all like good, solid players who don't really make a ton of mistakes. Like I don't I, I think that that's something that that we've seen from them, and and some of that is just the fact that all his guys are older. <laughs> like it's it's easier to to not make mistakes uh, or to be a coach that coaches players who don't make mistakes when the entirety of your linebacker core is upperclassmen. But I think that they've developed well. And, you know, I'm interested to see the one thing is, like, you know, when's that start? Like, when's that Ryan Shea's year going to come by, whether it's through development or whether it's through recruiting? I think that that's, you know, one of those things that I'm interested to see. And, like, I don't know. Some of the videos that I've seen, it makes me think that C.J. Hicks could be that guy. <laughs> um, and, I, and I'll be fascinated to see some of those younger guys. But, you know, I've been I've been really impressed by them. And I'll be honest, like, it must be terrible to be a Michigan fan and to see those guys come to Ohio State and continue to have this success. Yeah, I think I'd give Greg Madison a solid B, uh, maybe even a B minus, just because because of what you said about recruiting. I just I don't know what kind of impact he's really made on the recruiting trail. And feels like none. And again, this is a guy who's getting paid over a million dollars to not really make a big impact on the recruiting trail and for me to not really know exactly what his role is. So I give him a B at best. Mm-hmm. I, I might go B minus. I, I mean, it might be a little tough grader on him. Just, just, just because I just, I just don't know enough about what he's doing. And I don't think he's making much of an impact on the recruiting trail. 
Al Washington is currently ranked as the number one recruiter for the class of 2022. So in terms of mm-hmm. his recruiting, I mean, I'm giving Al Washington an A in recruiting right now. I think, I think Al Washington is killing it. Um, recruiting. I think, you know, I don't like, I feel like if I say anything bad right now, people think I'm crazy because yeah, if you look at CJ hits, Gabe powers and Sam McCullough, those are really good guys to get. Those are guys that like, if you're Ohio state's linebackers coach and you're good, you should get those guys. I think the one thing that would take me from an A minus to like an A plus territory, if he is, if he can go out of state and get a five star, if he can go like Rajon Davis is the guy that they've been after in the 2021 class forever. And the thing that's, you know, he's an LSU commit, you know, he's on that borderline five star status and they're probably not going to get him because they can't really get a visit right now from him. And that's going to be unfortunate for them, but that's sort of how it is. And, you know, I think that that's the one thing that I'm interested to see, like, can he go out of state and, you know, do what Larry Johnson does? Can he go out of state and get those, get, do what Kerry Combs does? That's the kind of, those are the kind of guys that I'm interested to see if he can pull, because I expect him to get CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers. Sam McCullough was a good pull, but he also had Ohio ties. So I think that, you know, they had some stuff there. I want him to go out and, you know, Sean Murphy's, you know, he's, he could be next. And like that, that to me is, like he's he's already he, he you, we've seen great signs from him and it's time to time to see him go out of state and pull that five star and, and I do think it could be Sean Murphy so I'm in terms of recruiting I'm probably a minus ready to give him an A plus provided he closes on somebody big and it just seems like he's close to that. Yeah, well, I was gonna say I, I give him an A in recruiting. I give him a B on the field. I think the linebackers have been good. I don't think they've been great yet. So A B. Overall grade, I'll go B plus for Al Washington. So good. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that that's sort of what they've both been like. They've both been good. It's not they haven't been game changers. It's not like they've come to Ohio State and changed everything Ohio State does. But they fit in and done. You know, I think of you know they not as good as you can't imagine them doing, but they've both done really well. I don't think yeah. that there's a lot that you look at and say, "Wow, they are really messing up there." Yeah. Other than I still don't understand a single recruit that Greg Madison has talked to because he's never come up uh, in any recruiting articles that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, to me, they've done good. I mean, to me, an A that's Brian Hartline, you know, I mean, to me, they're not at that level yet. So they're both in that, they're both in that B range for me. Very fair. Very fair. I hope Silver Sniper thinks it's fair too. Well, thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. We had a lot more to talk about with Rutgers game than I thought we would. So that's a good thing. And we'll see how things go next week. I mean, we, we got an interesting game coming up this week against Maryland. And then next week, an Indiana team that Colin was uh, correctly forecasted could be one of the toughest teams on Ohio State's schedule. So uh, I think we're going to have another interesting week coming up and plenty to talk about next week. So thanks again for listening in and hope you all have a good week.